This one's heavy. It is, but it's important, Scott. Because it's International Suicide Awareness Week. That's right. So we've done this with the church the last couple of years, partnered with an organization called To Write Love Under Arms and helping people to try to really look at some serious things. And in the pandemic we're in, Scott, we wanted to bring in Dr. Michelle Yetman, an expert in this issue that's going around and trying to raise awareness to help people to know some signs to look for, how the pandemic's affecting people, and really just in general, try to take away some of the taboo of talking about suicide and mental yeah. health. Because suicide's up because of isolation, overwork, underwork for some. There's a lot of family struggles. So it's really important to know that you are not alone and you can get help. And if you are somebody that maybe is a family member or a student or teenager that you are worried about or concerned or not sure what to do, this is a great resource. We hope you listen and check it out and share it with somebody that might need to hear it. Yeah, because it doesn't just affect you. It affects so many people that you are so unaware of. So definitely, if you need the help, we can help get you the help. And if you know someone that needs the help, we can help them get the help. Because really, this is a terrible, terrible thing that is 100% preventable. Try to help. And you were very honest and vulnerable. Share some of your stories, Scott, and your struggles. So we appreciate that. We hope you'll enjoy this episode. You're welcome. Listen, check it out, and then make sure you subscribe. You get every episode backstage with the Simple Church Podcast. And leave it a five-star review so other people can find it. And now we'll bring you that conversation with Dr. Yetman. Yay! A little more operatic, Scott. Mm. There you go. But that does not match the tone for today. No. <laughs> because today we are talking about something very serious with very a repeat serious. guest that's offered to come back yes. and help us again. One of our few repeat guests. That's right. We're glad you come back. Nobody wants to come back. We didn't scare her off. Dr. Mm. Yetman, thanks for being here again today. We are glad you're here. If you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do and why you'd reached out to us to talk on this very important week. Yes. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, Sure. My name is Michelle Yutman. I'm an associate professor at LSU Health. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I am happy to be talking about a very important topic, um, suicide prevention. Yes, ma'am. So a couple years ago, we had someone in our church that we knew well commit suicide, a student that went through and we started working with To Write Love on Our Arms is an organization that tries mm-hmm. to raise awareness and depression and get counseling. And Suicide Awareness Week really mm-hmm. got on our radar, I think it was 2018, I believe. Yes. We started trying to do that for the first time and raising money to help people to do it. And so this is an international week dedicated to trying to talk about suicide, to help people to get resources. And we just wanted to have you on to come and talk about it and maybe get some help to people that are struggling. It's a difficult time right now in the world. Absolutely. There's a lot going on. Absolutely. And also, you know, our thinking and understanding has really changed from previous generations. I always refer back to my mom. She's 86. She's alive and well and, you know, walks every day. But, you know, in her time, you know, you would never talk about this topic. Mm. There's no way people would do a radio show or discuss it. It was just this taboo. And we've learned so much as mental health professionals. It's just not talking about it doesn't influence people, um, doesn't make it worse. The same way we learned about sex education. You know, we realize now when you talk to young people about sex education, you share your values, you give them information, that doesn't make them promiscuous. It's actually important to have these discussions. The same thinking is when you talk about suicide, it doesn't put the idea in someone's head. You know, there used to be this fear that, oh, if you mention it, well, the person wasn't thinking about it, but now you gave them the idea. Right. It doesn't work like that. And actually, it's the exact opposite, which is people are often struggling with really dark, scary thoughts. And when someone actually asks them, 
have you, are you feeling okay? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? They feel this great sense of relief, like they felt so alone, but someone has reached out and asked them that, and it, they can unburden themselves and say, yes, you know, I'm overwhelmed. And to have somebody, you know, a church member, a counselor, somebody, a peer, somebody ask them those kind of questions can really help open the gate to communication and be the first step they need to go talk to somebody. So we've really changed our thinking as mental health professionals, as a community of you need to talk about this. If you think somebody might be having these thoughts, it's okay to ask. You should ask. It's important to have these open discussions. It shouldn't be taboo. You shouldn't be afraid to use the word. Yeah, and I think taboo is a good way to put it because as our church, Simple Church, unfortunately in Christian circles a lot of times there's a stigma with going to counseling that they don't want to go or you feel like it's not spiritual or you can't go and try to figure it out on your own or just pray your way through it. But we as a church have really embraced counseling and tried to encourage it. We provide free counseling services for anybody in Simple Church. So if at the end of this you're hearing and want to get help and we have some recommendations and lists and we can help pay for that even because there is a financial cost to it for a lot of people. But we go to counseling I personally go to counseling. My wife goes to counseling. Scott, I'm going to go ahead and put you and say you publicly you've been to counseling and most of the staff has yeah, been Yeah, I've been a few times. <laughs> no, no, no. I've been to a lot Yeah, over the years. And so we really do believe in it. We're trying to practice what we preach. And I really do think 99% of people benefit from going and talking to somebody. Absolutely. And I don't, you know, we can jump all over the place with this, but really we want to, obviously we want to talk about prevention, right? Yeah. We don't want to just deal with the aftermath, but when it comes to suicide, we really want to talk about prevention because for most people, it's not just, I had the thought and I did something very impulsive. For most people, they struggle for a long while before they would ever actually do something. They have thoughts they often struggle with mood symptoms like depression for a long time before they ever get to that place. So what we know is there's this whole opportunity for people around them to intervene. They might see changes. They might see mood symptoms. And of course, you know, different populations. But when I think of youth, because I think the church plays such an important role in prevention opportunities, because when you're working with young people who are considered to be an at-risk group, you know, if you're a counselor, uh, if youth pastor, you see these kids and oftentimes it might be easier for them to talk to their youth pastor than their parents, you know, yeah. or you see a ch ch child who changes, this child who used to be extroverted and bubbly and happy and now they're kind of becoming withdrawn, noticing those changes, reaching out and saying, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Do you want to talk? I see the church as being such an incredible resource in terms of being a place to go but also being able to be in that preventative path um, along for so many groups, but particularly youth, which are an at-risk group too. Oh, yeah. So I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and we've had multiple students over the years that were self-harming that had talked about they had a plan, and we've been able to work with their parents and get them counselors and try to follow that thing because it is so serious and it's so heavy, but it is something that is preventable like you talked about that. By talking to somebody most of the time, you can try to help them and get that at a younger age is mm -hmm. a huge deal. So I appreciate you coming on and talking about the day. Let's jump with the thing that everybody's talking about constantly in COVID.
COVID. It's impossible to avoid. <laughs> We've been talking about it a lot here. What is the state of mental health or suicide that you guys... Um, well, with the pandemic now going on for over a year and a half. COVID, COVID, COVID. Right. Um, well, COVID has caused more than just COVID, right? COVID has caused these kind of other mini pandemics. It's caused a mental health pandemic or a mental health crisis. And it's also caused a drug and alcohol um, pandemic or mini you know, crisis. Um not a lot of people coped with COVID well. Uh, people didn't cope with lockdown well. People didn't cope with all the fallout. Um, some people didn't cope with being locked in there with their family <laughs> well. <laughs> right. And I that cope. caused them to use substances more, um, stressors more. There was just a lot more. So what we saw was um, a lot more people using more drugs and alcohol. Uh, which is never a good thing to manage your stress. Um, and so as people use more substances, that creates, that's, you know, detrimental to your mental health. And then COVID has been very stressful on everybody, not just the physical aspect of if you get COVID, how hard it is, but um, what it's done to everybody and kind of what it's done to our society. This is, you know, living through a pandemic is very stressful. Yeah. Um, so that's caused a lot of mental health crisis definitely more so for certain groups like healthcare workers oh man in particular but i think everybody we've been trying to figure out like the kids are doing online school and as parents we've been asked to be like the teacher and the you know we're doing more we go to work and then we're supposed to come home and figure out more with homework and all sorts of stuff and we see our kids struggling and so as everybody's been struggling with the pandemic, I think it has taken the toll on a lot of individuals' mental health um, in ways maybe that they weren't taxed before. Um, and so a lot of individuals um, have struggled with that, but we know that healthcare workers are particularly under a lot of stress. Absolutely. We've talked with healthcare workers on this podcast. As a simple church, we've tried to go and encourage and help healthcare workers. Most people that are listening probably know someone that is a healthcare worker close to them. It is especially difficult. You said something off here before we started about the mm -hmm. suicide rate in healthcare workers. You talk about that? Yeah. So we know that before COVID, we know that nurses um, in general, their risk of suicide is higher than the general population. One is it's just very stressful to be a nurse. Um, they deliver most of the bedside care. Uh, most nurses are women. Um, men will complete suicide because they use violent means, but women attempt suicide four times issues. Really? Um, and that has to do with mental health issues. They struggle more with mental health issues. Women are seen as you, it's a perfect storm, and it's just been exacerbated with COVID. You have all the stress at work. And then you come home and you still have all the caregiving burdens. You got kids, you Work got childcare, yeah. you might have elderly parents, and it's just like it never ends. But your stress at work has just gotten tenfold. And it's like, it's like you don't get to go home and relax. And with nurses with COVID, we know there's this phenomenon of called like vicarious trauma. When you see trauma, even if it's not directly happening to you, when you witness trauma, um, it's traumatic. So we know that firemen and police officers, they get time off after they witness a traumatic scene. Nurses don't. They might have a patient expire bedside. They have to take that person down to the loading dock and the morgue picks them up. And they get a 10-minute break and they have to go to the next patient. 
there's no break. There's no mental health time to take care of yourself, your own mental health needs. You just have to keep on going. There's a national nursing shortage. And so there's no mental health care for that. You're just expected to kind of be a machine and keep on functioning. And as a psychologist, that's just unrealistic. You can't do that. You're still a human. That still registers when you're holding the iPad as their family said goodbye to them. As a human being, emotionally, that registers. Mm. And you're just supposed to keep on going to the next patient. I don't know if you know, we made the national news. A couple times, um, right? <laughs> not for good things. And they were interviewing the nurses at Willis-Knighton, and it was just heartbreaking. The beginning of the pandemic, they used to put up a paper angel for every person they lost to COVID. But it became so overwhelming and so heavy to look at this Every day when they came to work, they had to take it down because, you know, the nurses couldn't bear to look at all these paper angels every day. Wow. So they just are dealing with such burn to work. But then when you come home as a working mother, it's just you don't get to relax and just take care of you, right? You have to keep on going. So what we see is it's this perfect storm of work stress, home stress, and no break and no time to recharge. And so we know that nurses' rates of suicide since the pandemic have also gone up significantly. Some studies have said six times. Six times. Six times. And we have nurses leaving the profession like never before. So we're really having a really a nursing crisis, too, in this country. Oh, man. I don't know if you know Sherry Hagerhelm. She was on a couple uh, weeks ago. She works at Wilson Night North, I believe, is the head of the nurses there. And she talked about it on a podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes of just a direct report. And it's like you said, she had just left a couple, husband and wife, that both had COVID and the husband had died and was walking out to come do this podcast trying to deal with that and wrap her head around it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's heavy. It's so crazy. And Justin, our pastor, and trying to help healthcare workers, talked about it. And he's been to the COVID wing. And when people mouth off or say things like, well, it's not that big a deal, or it's just the flu, or it's not something, mm-hmm. he says, come with me to the COVID wing. Mm-hmm. said, let's go walk around. Because 99% of us, we don't see that. And we can block it out. We can go about our lives and pretend it's not real. But all of those health workers that are directly dealing with it every day, mm-hmm. that trauma is a real thing. That six times mm-hmm. the suicide rate in nurses is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we also know that that's preventable so that if we offer mental health services, right? So if we start screening, if we start offering therapy and prevention, the, the thing is, it is preventable. So we know that therapy works. If you start, when people start having those feelings, if you get in, if you intervene, you know, when people start showing early symptoms of depression, we know that we can turn that train around. It's not just like, oh, well, it's inevitable. There's a lot we can do. We treat depression and anxiety very effectively, mm. but you need to reach out to people. You don't want to wait till they're kind of at the end of their rope. Yeah. Um, we need to offer services to people. It would also be nice as, as a community if we could be more supportive of our... Empathetic, right? Yeah, burnt like, out, overwhelmed medical staff too. Empathy in general, I think, mm-hmm. in society. And that's something that we as a church are trying to help. So if you are somebody that needs help, you feel like you are at a point, if you're a health worker or not, Simple mm-hmm. Church has a list of recommended counselors. You can meet with a pastor and we can help 
refer you and decide if you'd rather talk to someone at our office first. Brian Reed is on staff, does that. A lot of that is great. And then if you decide you do want to go, we can help you find a professional counselor. We'll put a link in the show notes to get started with that because we really do believe, like you said, that it, it can help. It can change the entire course of your life mm-hmm. if you'll just let it and try to reach out and do something for somebody. We do a thing called Hope Live. We started during the pandemic where twice a week, one of our pastors gets on and does a Facebook Live and they chose 6 a.m. for people going in to start their day with the medical shift. And so there's a live Facebook, a pastor's there, and they read a scripture and it's eight to 10 minutes. Mm. But just this week, a lady went on and commented. I talked to her yesterday and said that my son died and I feel like God's abandoned me. Mm. I need help. And she was willing to publicly say that in Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so we got her connected with the pastor yesterday and she's coming in this next week to come and talk to somebody. So if you're hurting, if you need that, that is what we're here to do as a church and we want to help partner with you. And we appreciate what you're doing going around spreading that awareness and be able to try to meet that need. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people though, and this is for me as a pastor, I personally cannot say that I've ever had that thought. I'm not that struggle, but I know a lot of people that have. And a lot of times I don't know what to say. And I think about these myths and things that aren't, true necessarily, but you hear and you're worried that you're going to make it worse or what to do or not to say. So maybe if you could just give it for people that have family members or people they're close to that maybe are going through, what are some things that are not true that maybe we get wrong? Well, first, just your comment about the thoughts, though. Yeah. I will say millions of Americans have those thoughts. Mm. Um, so those thoughts are actually very common and they're not, I would say, not abnormal. So, um, you know, millions of Americans have... Um, at some point in their life will experience suicidal thoughts. Not that they necessarily feel they're going to act on them, but feeling like overwhelmed, I can't deal with this anymore. I've I definitely just, felt that. <laughs> I just wish I wasn't here. Yeah. Or if I wish I just don't wake up tomorrow. Um, what we know is that suicide is a temporary solution. People just want the pain to end. It's not that they don't necessarily want to die. It's just they can't stand being in their state of agony or discomfort. And it really is you just want help, you know? And so, again, reaching out to resources to say there are resources out there. Of course, what happens is people are typically in a depressed state. Depression alters your way of thinking, so you can't see any solution. And that's when, you know, we're stronger together. While you might not see a solution, other people can. Depression alters your way of thinking. It changes the lens through which you see the world. And you think this is impossible. This is always going to be this way. This is terrible. That's not really true. And other people, if you reach out, if you talk to other people, they can change that lens through which you see the world. Um, So these thoughts are actually very, very common that people can experience them at different points in their life, but it's not going to be permanent. It's not going to be forever. And therapy can be very effective in terms of changing that lens and making those thoughts go away and showing you that, that, you know, that's not the case. Yeah. The depression is actually causing you to think that way. And if we alleviate the depression, your whole thinking changes about situations and about life. Mm. So let's say it's a parent that maybe is a child that they think might be going through it or a, mm-hmm. a spouse that you might be doing. What are some things to say or not to say or mm-hmm. some things that maybe you've heard people with well-intentioned mm-hmm. say that don't help? Um, Sure. Well, one thing is we always want to take it seriously. So I definitely think, particularly if we dial back to adolescence, I think sometimes um, parents don't take it seriously when it comes to adolescence. So um, 
I think there's myths when it comes to adolescents that adolescents are just attention-seeking, or if you look at cutting behavior or self-injurious behavior, you're just like, sometimes parents don't seek help for teens because they just see teens as being, or girls being dramatic or attention-seeking. And you have to look at it as psychological pain. People are in pain, and people do things when they're in pain, be it cutting, being making statements about wanting to die or hurting themselves or whatever. We take it all seriously. When people are in pain, they need help, and there's no shame in reaching out for help and getting your child help. And so I do think, like you, just your earlier statement about stigma, mm-hmm. families should not be ashamed. No one should be ashamed about reaching out for help and getting help for family members. That's really, really important. And we don't see, we take everything seriously. So we don't see anything as attention-seeking behavior or anything like that, especially when it comes to young people. We take everything seriously. Yeah, no, that's a good start. And definitely, I think being dramatic or being teenage girls, that is probably something Mm -hmm. that a lot of people do dismiss, Mm -hmm. but it is something that is a real issue. If they're willing to verbalize or say that, or a lot of times with social media, right? Mm -hmm. That's a different world. And Mm -hmm. so as a youth pastor and as a parent, I'm 100% an advocate of you should have all of your kids' passwords. If it's the phone that you bought them, you have access to everything that they have. It Mm -hmm. is not their phone. It is your phone that Mm -hmm. you are letting them use and just trying to be transparent and have those chances to have those conversations because I know for me multiple times it was a parent saying, hey, my daughter said this in a text message to a friend or, hey, they didn't tell me this, but I saw it in somebody else. What would you say to talk, make that conversation? Because it's scary for parents. It's a lot of them are trying to figure out is this real or not. What would you say to do if you see it where it's not them telling you directly, but you might notice those signs? How do you have that conversation? Well, just start the conversation, right? So we know that the most important thing, especially with adolescents, is having open communication. If kids feel that they can't come to you, but you really want communication. So, and also if they're not coming to you saying, if, you know, if you want to talk to somebody, would you feel, do you want to talk to somebody? I can, I can arrange it so you can have your own person to talk to. Do you want somebody, whether it be at the church or a counselor or whatever, but, you know, adolescents experience so many emotions, right? It really is this roller coaster. They can struggle with all sorts of identity issues and all sorts of issues. Um, You want to say, I'm always here for you. What they want is a message of, I'm always here for you and I love you no matter what. And somehow as a parent, you have to be able to communicate that. Um, But also, and ironically, sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger. You know, sometimes teenagers don't want to tell their parents stuff. Yeah. And so sometimes teenagers um, do better with a therapist, be it through the church or a private therapist that you get through your insurance company. Sometimes it's easier, you know, just, you know, kind of saying all your struggles to a therapist. Um, but also as a parent, you want to say, you know, I'm still here for you. You can come to me no matter what. But do you want your own person to talk to, too? Yeah. One, so you can kind of have both ways. For sure. One thing I know, To Write Love in Our Arms, the organization that we work with, they have an anonymous chat line. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have to call on the phone. You mm-hmm. actually just chat on the computer, mm-hmm. and they'll help get you connected to a counselor. And it's something that we've recommended before. Of Even if you're too nervous to make that step, that if you could talk to somebody through there, that is all that they do. And they go around and speak on college campuses. And we sell their T-shirts in the Do Good store. But they are somebody that we personally recommend. I don't know if you know if you're familiar with the organization or not. But we really like them and what they're doing. Yeah, but that reminds me, I do want to mention that just the um, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, yes. which is 1-800-273-TALK. Yeah, um, we'll put that in the show notes. Sure. Um, and that's just kind of a, you know, sometimes, again, sometimes if you have these thoughts, 
if you're struggling with thoughts, talking to a stranger for some people, you know, they're just don't want to go to their church even. So it just that yeah. suicide prevention uh, helpline, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, people could call that if they just are struggling with thoughts that they find unsettling. Absolutely. So what's another th- myth or thing that we sometimes people believe that's maybe not the right thing when it comes to helping people with suicide? Um, well, I think the, you know, that just stigma that people who attempt suicide are weak. Mm. Um, I think that this is just, you know, it usually stems out of um, mental illness. Oftentimes they're struggling with feelings of depression or feelings of anxiety. We know from neuropsychology, this is just the way the brain works and the way you can get heart disease, the way you can get diabetes. Some people can get depression. Sometimes you're genetically loaded. You've inherited a gene. Sometimes environmental stressors become too great in your life. Mm. And that can flip a switch and set you up for a periods of depression, but because you have this right now in your life, it doesn't mean you're always going to struggle with this, but there's no character flaw in it, right? Yeah. This doesn't say anything about you as an individual. This doesn't say anything about you as a Christian. You're not strong enough of a believer. You didn't pray hard enough or your faith. This has got nothing to do with you. This is like, you know, if you if you develop cardiovascular disease or if you develop cancer, if you develop a brain tumor, I mean, sometimes it's just you know, it happens, right? right? It has it happens. Sometimes you might have inherited a, a genetic predisposition, and then other times it can be random. Um, so it's got nothing to, to do with your moral fortitude, I guess, is a really important message yeah, to absolutely. say. Um, and yet we do somehow feel like if I was just stronger right. um, or had more faith, I could get through this. And there's, it's just not related to that at all. It's an illness um it can be part of depression and that's an illness the same way the body gets sick you know the way you can get arthritis yeah you can get depression absolutely and and severe untreated depression can lead to suicide yeah for sure no that's a great point i think that is so true of Again, it goes back to that stigma that we think we can pray ourselves out of it or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But if you have arthritis or you have heart disease, you go see a doctor because there's something biologically wrong. Right. And so we know that we know what to do in those situations, but it seems like we're admitting defeat or weak or we could just figure it out ourselves when it comes to mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Scott, we'll pull you in. You've been kind of quiet over there. Hi. Hi. So do you mind just speaking a little bit about your personal experience with counseling and the kind of some of the stuff you've gone through this past year? No. You I'm don't. kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just like look at the, the fear in your face. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, I how can I put this? I have was diagnosed with major depression uh, and suffered depression all my life. I had a suicide plan uh, by the fifth grade that stayed with me till I was twenty something. Yeah, until I really my my parents uh, really didn't take it too seriously um, until so so my way of coping with it is I wrote down uh, basically my thoughts and feelings because I, I had a plan I knew exactly what I was going to do uh, I did attempt a few times what well, kind of sorta um, one of the things that I did is I remember I took a knife and wrote help me carved it into the wall of my my uh, bedroom. Um, so, but anyway, never got any help as an adolescent or anything until my mom 
found these, I, I would call them letters, but really they were just things that I wrote down to help me get through because at that point I just needed an outlet and it was just my outlet. Normally I just threw them away. My mom found one. And so I was at school, I was a senior in high school at the time and there was like an ambulance waiting for me <laughs> around the corner because uh, it scared her. And that was yeah. the first time I ever gotten really help. But even then, uh, and this is an important lesson, uh, just because one counselor doesn't work for you, keep going because the first counselor that I went to, I mean, nothing against her. I'm sure she's great for some people. It just wasn't good for me. Right. And so uh, it took, so I just didn't stick with it. And then I moved on and then I got really depressed and went through a relationship once again that did not go very well. And then I finally started seeing a counselor that worked for me. And through many years of work, it didn't wasn't an overnight process. It wasn't even a couple of month process. It was three years worth of therapy going once a week for three years. And I had insurance, which I was thankful for, but it still uh, but basically it pulled me out of the darkness where I don't go to that place anymore. And I haven't since then, but it took a long time and a lot of work. And then, yeah, this past year, you know, I realized I was an alcoholic because uh, I was coping, I didn't cope well with the pandemic at all. Uh, stuck inside with my own thoughts, my own feelings. Definitely, definitely didn't cope well with that, like a lot of people. So uh, I had already developed a drinking problem prior to that, just was unaware. And then uh, when the grasshoppers, like the sound of grasshoppers started scaring me, I thought, huh, I got a problem. So <laughs> lucky for me, I work with a great staff and a great group of people that are willing to help. And so I went to my boss, which is John Hagler, and said, hey, I think I've got a problem. He's like, yeah. So I got help, and we got back into counseling, and I was able to work through that. And, and I've been sober for over a year now, and it's been great. And so, But, yeah, but once again, you have to put in the time and effort yourself, that, and you, you have to pull yourself out of it. But, but the main thing I encourage people is, is if one counselor doesn't work, try another one. Try one that don't works. Don't throw them you. all out. Yeah, all counseling's yeah, bad. Yeah, just because you went to one counselor and they didn't help you, well, there's a lot of different counselors that do a lot of different things. I found one that really worked for me. His name is Hasim, and he's great. But he may not work for you because he's tough. He doesn't cut me any slack. But that's what I need. That may not be what you need. You may need someone who's maybe a little softer, maybe a little nicer. My other counselor that helped me get out of the really deep, dark depression was Marty Miller. He was fantastic at that. He's great at pulling me out of that and a lot of work and it's homework and it's and but that's what I need. So that's my my two cents, I guess. Oh, that's for my advice. Thank you for sharing that and being open and I know you've gone through some stuff and yeah. I think an underlying key to that though was you were involved in student ministry. The people you work with now at Temple Church were your youth pastors. And when you had issues, you know who to go to when right. you were ready. But but when I was a youth, I didn't talk about it. Yeah. I didn't know. Because I when all that whole incident went down, which Justin was my youth pastor at the time, he was unaware. Oh, I didn't know. Because that. I wanted to keep it private. My right. parents wanted to keep it private. So, yeah, I went to an inpatient program for a week or two weeks, uh, which did nothing. I had a blast, though. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. But one of the things that it helped me with is I thought that, number one, I was the only one. Mm. And number two, I thought there was really something wrong with me. Well, I'm in a group. I'm the only one that's, an, uh, I say inpatient, I was outpatient actually. I would go all day long and then come home at night. I didn't spend the night there, I should say. But I was in there. I was the only one that was able to do that. Everyone else that was in the Willis-Knighton, it was the Willis-Knighton unit. That's the only one that takes youth. Uh, I was the only one that was allowed to do that. All the rest of the kids in there, you know, they were in there permanently. After spending time with them, I was like, 
wow, okay, I'm not that bad. Which, nothing against them, sure. but it helped it's me realize, yeah, it helped me go, okay, well, then I am, you know, I, I'm not as bad as I thought I was, so I can get help, because they're, because we're all getting help together. And then, yeah, so I was like, okay, wow, yeah, I'm happy. Jeez, it's not so bad for me, because some of these, you know, they had terrible terrible lives, had terrible parents, you know, their their upbringing was terrible, foster system, all kinds of stuff. Parents were drug addicts, so they were drug addicts by the time they were 10, and now they're 14. And I mean, I'm not talking like, you know, oh, smoke a little, going, okay, yeah, I did heroin two weeks before coming into here at 14. Mm. So then you're going, okay, you know, yes, I have some issues and I have some depression, but obviously... I'm getting the help that I need, and I can do this. If they can do it, I certainly can. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think another takeaway from that story, too, was that was when you were 18, mm-hmm. and then there was a time that you weren't as good, and then you got better again, yeah. and then there was a time you weren't as good. It's not a yeah. one-time fix. No, no, no it's definitely not a one-time fix. No, because right. I got better, and then I met who I thought was going to be the love of my life, and she took my heart and stomped on it. <laughs> And I got really, really depressed and went to a very dark place again. But the difference is, is because of my prior time going through, I already had when I was 18, I realized, hey, this isn't good. So I was able, I already had some tools there to go, okay, I don't want to go down this path again. So that's when I reached out and I was able to get in touch with Marty and Marty and I did the work for three years. So And and then once again, I, I didn't go like once every now and again when I felt bad. I went... Every week for three years mm. with homework. So that means every time I left a session, there's stuff. But that was the only way I was so able to fool myself. Right. That was the only way it worked for me. And that was the only way I was able. And now, I mean, I still I still have depression. I mean, it's going to be with me for the rest of my life. But I don't go to that dark place anymore because Marty helped me develop the tools that I don't ha- I don't go to that place anymore. I don't go to that deep, dark place where I just... You know, I know what to do. Like, if I start to go down that path, because Marty and I worked on it, I can go, okay, you know, like, in my mind, I'm going, okay, this is, okay, you know this thinking is false. We need to pull back. This is reality. And then I kind of, I it really helps me pull me out of it so I don't go there anymore. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Thank you for sharing That's that. That's my story. That's yeah. right. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's so many valuable points in that, right? So we see the intersection of um, mental health struggles with substance abuse struggles. The two are related. You can't fix one without fixing the other. Um, We also know that when people make one suicide attempt, they're really at increased risk for making another attempt. So we kind of. So it's not like they do it once and they start their system. No, they're actually seen at really high risk again for future attempts. So that's a big red flag you have to pay attention to. And then also, it's like the way you have to kind of look at your spiritual health and physical health, you have to look at your mental health. It's kind of an ongoing process, right? So it's like a lifelong kind of work. So I think that's a good story and that we all need to be kind of working at taking care of our mental health. And now in the middle of a pandemic, we all kind of need to be paying right. attention to our mental health and looking around us. Trauma. Circle and making sure everyone around us is okay and doing okay. Because it's collective trauma. I mean, right. I think about we're just right. coming off the 20th anniversary. Like that. That's right. Right. We're living history. I mean, people yeah. don't realize that is this is going to go down in the history books of, you know, surviving a pandemic and it's impacting us all. Yeah. One thing we've been talking about is it's just the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Mm-hmm. Think about how much that affected every part of life and how we all had to deal with mortality and face it. I was a freshman in high school when it happened. And now we're still in the midst of the pandemic. We haven't even stopped to be able to reflect back and see the ripple of that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the 
10,000 times more people that were lost that now have families surviving and going through due to the pandemic that are mm-hmm. going to be just the ripples mm-hmm. of that. We don't, we can't understand. We won't know mm-hmm. for years to come. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just going through of the collective trauma is the word that we've kind of landed on of that mm-hmm. just makes sense. We're all going through something together in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so for the pandemic, I know a couple of us in the office, we were shelter in place for about three months. We were working remotely and I had my kids at home and we were family we were great. But for Scott, it was a really tough situation. Yeah, but, but once again, in a normal now, I'm much healthier, but at the time yeah. I was going through withdrawals from alcohol. So it was really tough. Literally, <laughs> I mean, I can laugh at it now, but literally the sound of crickets in the morning or cicadas literally scared me. Well, you were going through the withdrawal and yeah. you had had some scares where you thought you yeah, had and I and I had to move back in with my parents. But once again, because, you know, I just got really mentally in a bad place, Yeah, which now, but once again, because I worked now, if that happened again, I would be much better. But at the time, no, it was not good. Yeah. And opposite of that, John Hanko, some on staff this week at lunch, said his favorite part of the quarantine was to be in shelter in place. Right, <laughs> right. Really... Yeah, because, because his way of, 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 because where I don't do well alone, he's the exact opposite. Right. He much, like for his birthday, his, his favorite thing for his birthday was he went to a shop and worked in a shop all day by himself. Undisturbed. And yeah, so... because that's what he prefers, where I am total opposite. Just because, yeah, you aren't affected the same way someone else doesn't mean that it's not affecting people the way. So we're going to keep you all day and we'll cover more things. I know for me as a youth pastor and talking with parents in the lens of that, what are some red flags or warning signs that you would say that is probably something that merits talking to somebody else, to asking a pastor, going to – because I think a lot of times I I know parents and maybe overreacting is a strong word, but they go and they think every single thing's a crisis – versus, and then you talked about taking it seriously. So I think where is that line of, if you see these things, these are things you should probably go talk to somebody about it. What I, we tend to see is more stories similar to um, Scott's story, which is that parents just don't recognize the symptoms. Um, You know, teenagers can be moody. Teenagers can be withdrawn. Teenagers want to stay in their room more. Yeah. But, and that is part of normal adolescence. But what happens is there's a difference between a normal moody teenager in a teenager who just dis- disconnects, doesn't want to be involved with their family. Um, so it, what we're really looking for is a change, right? So this is a change from the kid who they used to be. This child's behavior has changed in some way. And a change in personality, withdrawal from their friends, withdrawal from the family, loss of interest in things they used to like to do. There's really a change. Um, obviously, if there's an increased use in substances, but parents, kids are pretty sneaky, so they may not know that. <laughs> but really, your child has changed from the child, they, their personality they used to be. Yeah. Um, and so, and and getting help when you see that. And so a lot of parents just say they're being a teenager, and it's not them Definitely. being a teenager. Right. It's It's more than that. Yeah, no, that's good. And then I know for a couple people we know have talked to that they don't want their kid to be labeled even mm-hmm. at an elementary age that, mm-hmm. well, if they're ADD, then they're going to have that the rest of their life and do it. And it's going to be this bad thing. So we're not even going to get them tested. Mm-hmm. Or if it's whatever mm-hmm. thing is, it's almost like we'd rather not know. So what would you say to a parent that maybe is afraid if they think their child's showing symptoms of something that they're going through to mm-hmm. be tested to get them help early at an earlier age? So more information is is power, right? It's always good to have a plan. It's always good to have resources. Mental health is confidential. 
It's absolutely confidential. You don't have to share the evaluation with anybody you don't want to. You own, as a parent, you own the report. You own the evaluation. You don't have to share it with the school if you don't want to, but you can get your child help and reality. The other thing is we're noticing, like, this generation is under tremendous anxiety. Youth... Um, is under tremendous anxiety today. This is a generation that grew up with school, school shootings. We know that their mental health is not the same as previous generations. So they are more stressed and they are more anxious. There's certain things that just aren't normal. It is not normal for um, a child or an adolescent to have a plan yeah. for suicide. That's just not. And if you hear things like that, you have to seek help. But you can't just say, hmm, they're being dramatic or right. whatever. So there's just clear red flags that you as a parent really should get um, help for. Um, and again, that comes to regular communication. So you want to try to do things like drag them out of the room and insist on things like family dinner. Yeah. Yes. It's only 30 minutes and then you can go back to your, you know, hovel in your screen, <laughs> but, but 30 minutes we're going to have, and we, we're going to communicate for 30 minutes and there's going to be no phones at the table. So you're trying to, at least for a short window of time yeah. every day, connect with your child and see what's going on in their world. So you can kind of monitor their mental health, their mood, their feelings, their friends, what's going on, stay connected. Um, of course, they're going to hate family dinner sometimes when there's a teenager, but you still... And start at a young age. And I mean, start that's at a young age. We're right. trying to get that the habit with our six-year-old and our three-year-old that they know we're screen-free for dinner. We try to sit down mm -hmm. realistically four to five days a week that we're mm -hmm. home and sit down all eat mm -hmm. together. But we're making that now so the expectation when we become teenagers is like, oh, all of a sudden now we're going to have family dinner after <laughs> we're 17 and they're going to start. And, you know, right. It's a lot more difficult. You're going to sit down and like it. <laughs> that's right. right. And it's not pleasant all the time. And it'd sure. be so much easier for you and your wife just to eat alone and let them, you know. But but it's important, right? It's important to keep those lines of communication early. And they do start young. You're exactly right. If you, you know, if you want to have be able to communicate with your six-year-old, 16-year-old, you start with when they're like three, That's <laughs> right? right? And you keep that conversation you make sure i also find as a mom like the best conversations happen in a car they're trapped they can't get away right um yeah they want to stick their you know headphones in but you know those short conversations you know with teenagers you, you speak in five minute increments and you just be able to part some wisdom in five minutes and then they're out of the car but that's really helpful though too. absolutely and i'm just going to go ahead and plug student ministry because what i did i believe in it we do life groups which are small groups that meet in homes middle school they meet separate genders so boys and girls meet at different homes high school they're all starting they're back now and they would love to go and help be a resource to help your teenagers there's a caring adult a leader there that we've background checked that's safe that is trying to go and to help your teenagers and give them a chance to hang out with other people in a godly environment and so we definitely would love for them to be a part of a life group and check that out and then for all ages and so maybe even moving away from teenagers we talked about nurses and healthcare workers if you have a friend or if it's an older parent that have 20 to 30 something year old kids that are health workers maybe what are some signs to look for or ways to talk to them and to see and how they're doing well, with healthcare workers, we really want to talk about, you know, burnout is such a r real thing. So what are they doing to recharge their batteries? You're, you're not a machine. You can't work continuously. So what are they doing? It's like the question is, what are you doing to take care of you? That's the best psychology question, right? What are you doing to take care of you? Are you, do you have a church you go to on the weekends that, you know, feeds your soul, feeds your mind? What are you doing to take care of you? Because if you get work all week and then on the weekends you're doing laundry and grocery shopping and all this other stuff, you're not recharging you. So what are you doing to take care of you? And are you part of a community that helps support you mm. in some way? So you have to have time. We all have to recharge ourselves some way. And for a lot of people, church is how they get, you know, recharged and fed spiritually and stuff. But, you know, you somehow have to have a way you recharge your batteries every week. 
Um, and it's really critical for healthcare workers. Yeah. Otherwise, you're running on empty and you will burn out and bad stuff happens with burnout. Mentally, physically, both ways, bad stuff will happen. You can't, the body can't be maintained in a, in a, in a stress period prolonged before really bad things happen, both physically and mentally. Yep. So Jordan, our producer, I hope you're taking notes. Tyler, they're your wife coming home. You take all that chores off of her, make sure she's good. You got, there we go. You gave the thumbs up on that. Or put extra. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Send her for right. a massage. There we go. That's a good Aww. idea. So I think we're about out of time. We appreciate you coming so much. Just if you want to end with resources, we talked about the suicide prevention hotline. Yeah. And so if you want to do that, and then we'll put all the stuff in the show notes. And if you would like more information, you want to get connected, talk to a pastor, please reach out and we can help you to try to get these things. But just any more specific things you want to wrap up on. Um, yeah, so there's always the 1-800-273-TALK, which is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and then really encouraging people to use resources in their community. Every health insurance plan um, covers you know, the number on the back of your card. Look for your mental health um, counselors, the 1-800 number. You can see what mental health counselors you have through your insurance plan. And then churches are usually the best resource also for um, counseling. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you coming on talking about that, and we really do believe in it. We try to help, and if you are part of Simple Church, maybe if you're listening somewhere and you don't live in Treeport Bozier, you can still reach out. We're still trying to help you to find some and know the resources and ways to get connected to a counselor. But we thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jim, and thanks for talking about this and trying to help break that stigma. And we do care about people. We say, look, you love God, love people, and solve problems. And I really think this is a problem that, like you said, if you put the work in, if you know the effort in Scott's story, that mm-hmm. you can try to help and make a difference in this issue. You, and we don't want to lose anybody else to suicide that if we could help and be a part of. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing this work. I appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem. All right, Scott, that was heavy. It's a difficult subject. It's not something like, man, I hope somebody gets yeah. a suicide awareness podcast this wow. week. Wow. But it affects a lot of people. It might it be really affecting does. you personally or someone that you know in your family. We hope that helps so we can get resources to help. So if you want to talk about that, get connected to a counselor, pastor, please take advantage of those resources and we'll put them in the show notes you can look and see. And specifically, if you're a healthcare worker and you are overwhelmed, please reach out to us. We have lots of resources, lots of people that can get help. We know that it's very tough out there right now, so please reach out to us, and we will try to help you as much as possible. You can email me at scott at thesimplechurch.tv or evan at thesimplechurch.tv, and we really just want to get you the help specifically right now because we know it's a very difficult time. And if you are listening to this and you know a healthcare worker, check on them. Make sure they're okay. Yeah, pray reach for out. them. Yeah, and, and do more than pray. Take them to lunch. Send them something. If they like flowers, send them flowers. If they like Jordan Phillips, your doctor, even though sometimes it's chores, just make life just slightly easier on them. Even if going to see your doctor, even though sometimes it's an inconvenience, go in with a good attitude. There you go. So thanks for downloading this episode. Subscribe. You get every episode each week when they come out. Make sure you leave that five-star review. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.